everybody, and welcome to the Angry Sun Zone. Today, we have a very special episode involving another edition of What Anime Bullshit is Santo Playing This Week, as well as a deep dive into our history with arcades. I am the aforementioned Santo. And I'm Sean. And I'm Alex. Fantastic. So, when it comes to anime bullshit, there are a lot of different variations of anime bullshit. You have one camp, which is the stuff that isn't actually anime, but you can tell is anime bullshit. On the other hand, you have bullshit that is based off of an anime. And that's the kind that I've been playing <laughs> this week. Because I've been playing Dragon Ball Fighters, Oh, Which okay. is the okay. uh, Arc System Works developed uh, Dragon Ball fighting game. Arc System Works being the people behind uh, Blaze Blue, uh, Persona, Arena, and Guilty Gear. Okay, for a second there, you just said Persona, and I thought, what? <laughs> no. But the Persona fighting game, yeah. Yes, which is, the Persona fighting game is probably my favorite traditional fighting game. Uh, but as far as uh, fighter, well, okay, so it's Dragon Ball Fighter Z. Okay. So I don't know how to pronounce that, because is it Fighters? Is it Fighters? Is it Fighter Z? Or is it Fighter Z, because I'm Canadian? I'm going to go with Fighter Z. I think Fighter Z sound like Fighter Fighter Z is an imposing title. Yeah. All right. So so we're going with that one. Yeah, so Dragon Ball Fighter Z is it's a 3 on 3 team-based fighting game, uh kind of in the vein of something like Marvel vs. Capcom. So you're switching out between fighters? Yeah, so you're switching out between fighters. Each fighter has an assist that you can call in for a, a move to Help out your combos. And combos. Combos everywhere. Oh, this no. is one of those fighting games that has combos that will carry a character from one side of the battle arena to the other side and take out, you know, over half their health with like 40 or so hits. Oh, well, that's not faithful to the anime at all. <laughs> no, that's, that's very faithful to the anime. No, no, no. I, I want moves to have a five minute wind up. For each hit. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I'm like, where's the Listen, goddamn The super window? needs to take a full 30-minute episode. <laughs> uh, see, you say that, and sure, that happens. But this fighting game is actually, like, super-duper faithful to the source material, where a lot of, like, the frames of animation come from, like, the show and stuff. There's a ton yeah. of little touches. Yeah, I, I like mean, that. jokes about uh, Dragon Ball's uh, combat scenes aside, uh, I love the way this game looks. I haven't played it, but the game is beautiful. The game looks like an animation from, the like, Dragon Ball Z or GT or whatever. Yeah, they did a really good job with it. It's, um... There, it's 3D models fighting on the a, a 2D plane, something that Arc System Works has been doing for a while now. That looks fan fucking tastic. Yeah, uh, I, I would love to see Arc. Like I I just love pretty much all of their animations. The uh, Blast Blue, Guilty Gears are like they they've done a really good job with their their style of translating cell shading into <laughs> video games. So I'm not surprised they hired them to do the Dragon Ball fighting fighting game yeah and the game is like super duper flashy uh to the point where i haven't been 
trouble figuring out what's going on on the screen. Because at any one time you could have your two characters that are fighting, two different assists throwing up projectiles, the people that you're fighting also throwing up projectiles. There's a super dash where you can like just dash through the air and it like homes onto the enemy. Holy shit! Uh, yeah, actually, you know, I'm just, dope. I'm just thinking this was the this was the fighting game, the Dragon Ball fighting game that we saw in that Nintendo Direct that we uh, reacted to on our YouTube channel, wasn't it? Uh, no, I don't think it's so. Because oh, I remember there was a cel shaded Dragon Ball game that we that was in that uh, Nintendo Direct. Hmm. Might have been a different one. Yeah, but there's also also like. See, you know how it's faithful to the show? If you hold down a specific two buttons, you just stand there charging your super meter. <laughs> so that's, oh they, that's how they get around that. That's how they bring that into the game. And the I played... I haven't played online yet because I know I'll get stomped because this, A, I'm not great at fighting games. I just... My fingers are too bad twitchy to be able to execute properly, especially on these like super combo-heavy based ones. And B, the game has been out for a while. Oh no! So yeah, that's the dead. That's that. <laughs> that makes it tough to get into any online multiplayer game, competitive game. Yeah, just the, the more time passes, the more new players are not gonna be playing it. So somebody like me who's new, I'm gonna get stopped if I try. I know that. So it'll it'll take a little bit. So I've mostly been playing uh the story mode. And the story mode has a really funny setup to it, where there's this mysterious device that's sending out these mysterious energy waves that is depowering everybody, oh. so that they're all about the same level. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because this game takes place after, you know, a bunch of Dragon Ball shit, where clearly Goku is leagues more powerful than most of the characters on the roster, so they had to, like, justify it right, to make right. it so that, you know for the story at least, that it makes sense that, you know, you could be fighting a clone of Krillin and it could be a competitive match. Yeah. Uh, but they have one other wrinkle to the story which is really, really weird. Which is that the player character is a character in the story, but you're just this disembodied, like soul that inhabits the various fighters when they're fighting. What? To help them draw out their power. Okay. And so they weirdly justify the they like almost use it to justify like the fact that even though you're in a team of three you're fighting one on one for the most part except for those assist moves it's very strange that yeah. they went out of their way that much to try and bring this into the like the fiction of Dragon Ball and the fighting game to like, try and mesh them together so that everything makes sense when it's a fucking fighting game. Who cares? <laughs> yeah. That's, that's an interesting like you'll, choice. You, you look at, you look at a lot of different fighting games and they, some of them don't even try. Like again, Marvel vs. Capcom. I can have Phoenix Wright fight against Dormammu and win. <laughs> Hey, everyone, I've come to bargain. Listen, everyone knows Dormammu obeys the rules. Yeah, he's, he's a, a lawful, he is a, yeah, lawful evil. Lawful evil. That's right. <laughs> he's he's bound by his agreements. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, the one other thing that I really want to talk about about this game, because I haven't really played it that much, um, is the roster. The roster is pretty hilarious. Because again, it's just like, you have like, Nappa is in there. Oh, and, Nap- yeah. and Nappa like was, you know, in a few episodes at the beginning and never showed up again, but he's, he's a roster member. Listen, Dragon Ball Z abridged is... A national it was, treasure. It, was, it is surprisingly influential on how actual Dragon Ball ended up happening. Yeah. Because um, Christopher Sabat, the person who voices uh, Vegeta and Piccolo and uh, some other characters in the English dub, uh, like, is aware of it. And, it, and um, he's also the voice director for the English version. So if there's any liberties taken... with the localization of it like he's you know involved with that so there are some lines in the series that in dragon ball super that are like okay they just did this for the jokes this is something that i would hear in dragon ball z bridge probably yeah (laughs) i remember there was there was there was one meme going around for a little while of piccolo at a like a barbecue or Mm -hmm. something and i think he said a line that was basically from Dragon Ball Z yeah. abridged. Yeah, it's just like, oh, Piccolo, this food's so good. You gotta come over here and eat. Uh, Goku, I'm grilling. Do not interrupt the grill master. <laughs> oh it's my like, god. Uh, okay, so this, like, green alien who thought he was a demon for most of his life is now the grill master. Right. So good. It's so good. <laughs> That's hilarious. Um, and there's a bunch of other members of the roster. Uh, they've done a lot of DLC, which I haven't bought, because I don't know how much I'm going to play with this game. So that makes me want to, as part of, as one of my mains, main Captain Ginyu. <laughs> because his level 3 super is he swaps bodies. Oh. So you and the opponent, like, swap life bars and swap characters. So it's a free way to access the DLC. <laughs> What? Because <laughs> if you do it with a character that you don't own when you're playing online, you're playing as that character now. I've got to buy shit. Wow. <laughs> Hot tips for saving money in the zone. And right. Play Ginyu. <laughs> uh, there's also so many Gokus. So many Gokus. Okay, as a percentage of the roster, how many? how many is Goku? You can field two full teams of three with different Gokus. There are six <laughs> variations of regular Goku, as well as three different fused Gokus. Wow. So that means there's seven and a half Gokus in this game. You could practically have a convention full of these Gokus, and you could call it Confused. That, that only applies to the uh, fusion Gokus, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you, no, no regular Goku's allowed. Fair, fair. fair. Only Gogeta and Vegito. All right, Math Wizard. How many permutations of Goku's are there in total for this three-player team here? Uh, well, enough. you've got half a Goku, so it's incomputable. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's that's Dragon Ball Fighters. I'll probably keep playing it off and on. Um, and be bad at it, but that's fine. That's how I usually play fighting games anyways. Uh, but, you know, when I think about playing fighting games, sitting at home in my room, playing them online with randos, is it 
it's not the way. The true way to play fighting games is shoulder to shoulder with some somebody that you just met that day with way too much noise in the background at an arcade. Perhaps like a Rush arcade? Perhaps maybe a Rush arcade. That's right. We're going to talk about our favorite internet cafe. Damn fucking right. Hits us right in the childhood. Now, to, to, to preface this, we have been... Uh, we have been gaming geeks for a long time, and uh, earlier in the history of our gaming geekhood, uh, we and a few of our friends made regular trips to this amazing arcade where uh, we sunk a lot of time, energy, and the occasional money into uh, the concession stand. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, if you want a greasy hot dog or a cup of piping hot ramen next to your fucking PC while you game, you can do that. Oh, yeah. Rush Arcade. Now, there are many different kinds of arcades, so in order to give you an idea of how awesome this experience is, we, we'll, we'll, we'll dip a little bit to, to compare and contrast with other arcade experiences that we may have had. Yeah, I mean, broad, broadly speaking, I, I sort of think of arcades as falling into kind of three categories. Uh, there's less arcade and more internet cafe with gaming computers uh which is what rush arcade is yep. which yep. was a place we went to a lot uh and then there's of course a you know traditional gaming arcade filled with coin operated games that you just play for fun which would be you know your your fighting games street fighters you know or eSpot. Uh, i don't know what that is but um Oh yeah. Well, e Eastbot is another arcade. Right, right, uh, right. It's one we locally. haven't been to yet. Um, I haven't been to. Anyway, yeah. Uh, so you know your your coin operated classic arcade games. You know your fighting games, your metal slugs, your um, Puyo Puyos, things like that. Maybe might might have one of those in your local movie theater. Um, and then there's also the arcades that are sort of like ticket games, like Midway games or. Yeah, like, you know, extensions of the carnival game concept. Extend, yeah, know? carnival games where you can earn tickets and, and buy stuff. And it's... Some of the newer ones are actually electronic uh, that resemble a video game. Others are more classic, like, mm -hmm. like Skee-Ball. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think we'll probably spend a bit of time talking about each of the sort of three categories of arcades. Yeah. Uh, Rush Arcade had like a traditional arcade um, area to it. Though I, me personally, I, we never, I never used that section of the I, uh, I didn't, I didn't either. Same. Yeah, we, we always went in because they had like five bucks all day, like internet cafe access. Yeah. It was amazing. Was pretty crazy. Yeah. $5 all day internet cafe, but they weren't just regular computers. Uh, they, they were, were fairly high-end gaming at the time fairly high-end gaming computers and you know for for listeners uh maybe that don't quite understand why this is such a big deal in our age of modern fiber to the home and cheap graphics card integrated well, graphics on your cpu that can run good games yeah um like we're talking about the days when if you wanted to play battlefield 2 you needed to drop cash and there was no console version of battlefield and or maybe there uh, was. Battlefield 2 there was. Okay. 
it was hard to use, I think. Though. But it's not the battlefield we we uh, gravitated to at Rush Arcade. Uh, yeah. You know? um, that, that one didn't have a console version. We played Battlefield Vietnam. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the thing about in those days, going and playing like a shooter at the internet cafe is that you know, your internet ping trying to play online at home could easily be 200 and considered good. Back then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course, nowadays, 200 ping, you know, you'd be complaining about lag spikes. Well, that was just normal. And so being able to go to an internet cafe where not only you could play with all your friends in a game like Battlefield, but also uh, have other people uh, just be there playing the game too, like you could get a full server on LAN... And that was the shit because you there was no way to really have that uh, over the internet in high fidelity essentially at the time. Totally. And Battlefield Vietnam. Uh... Also, you could like hear your opponents complaining and dying, and and that that there's something special there. You, yeah, you you could he- you you could hear somebody across across the place just like yell when you try to. Uh, pilot a battlefield helicopter for the first time in your life and that's um that's a learning experience for sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> hearing hearing the caterwaul of your teammates as they lose all nine lives yeah the aerial aerial vehicles and ve- aerial vehicles in battlefield have always been difficult to use yeah uh yeah battlefield vietnam also had a kick and soundtrack it did yeah it did it did you know, I think I was actually at Rush Arcade. I uh, I was introduced to a lot of genres that I hadn't really ever played before. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, I I least... know that's where I learned about Dota, and frankly, that's the only place I ever really played much Dota. <laughs> yeah, that's something that we engaged in a few times when they, we were there. Yeah, uh, I think it was. Um, I never really like pushed you guys to play Dota there. I think it was your cousin, Sean, that wanted to play it a few times. Oh, as, yeah. as well as randos. Sometimes random, random people would walk up to us and say, like, hey, you want to play Dota? And we were like, what is that? And then they left. Yeah. <laughs> Rather than try to explain it to us because, you know. Yeah, and I mean, and that's fair. But, like, that's one of the things I think that, you know, we really don't have as much anymore is, you know, if you're in an internet cafe or an arcade, like, yeah, just actually just you know having some fun with people that you just met and you're like yeah we're gonna play some dota or like battlefield or or a fighting game or whatever yeah that's something that i think is lost a little bit stranger danger went too far the social atomization (laughs) strikes again even the gamers can't rise up to play together oh please don't talk about gamers rising up i don't need any of that that's a bad (laughs) I think I think we're probably past the connotations with that, but <laughs> it's uh, satire here. Yeah, uh, one one genre that we definitely played uh, quite a bit at at Rush Arcade was uh, real time strategy games. Oh yeah, yeah. Command and Conquer Generals. Yeah, we played uh, uh, quite a bit there. Um, played some StarCraft there. Yep. Even though that was like the one game. I th- it was one of the few games we played there that I could also play at home. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, playing with your buddies and sitting literally right next to each other was pretty sick. Yeah. Uh, 
Command Conquer Generals never went my way because Sean was way better at it than uh, <laughs> so many actions <laughs> per minute. <laughs> Played a played a little bit of like Age of Mythology, maybe some Age of Empires there too. Yeah, I, I also distinctly remember we all played a lot of San Andreas there. Yep. Yes, yes, uh, that looks yes. Good. And San Andreas, we didn't play a multiplayer. It didn't have multiplayer. We just dicked around, dicked around, and would show people, hey, this is some funny shit we're doing, and then we and then we looked up like the cheats for the PC version. Oh yes, like kangaroo has, bubble you, cars. Yeah. So that whenever you collide with cars, they just like lose all their gravity and just yeah, start that, flo- floating away. That one was really fun. Uh, I think there was one to just blow up cars too. Mm-hmm. Like cars would just explode. Yeah. A GT has always had some really fun cheats, and yeah, we played a lot with that at uh, Rush Arcade. Yeah. Did I, did we ever play like Counter Strike there? I, I tried a bit of Counter Strike. I also played a few other shooters like Fear uh, because. Oh yeah, I, remember, I do fear. remember you playing Fear, and I'm like, wow, this is what a lot of cash I, money in I forgot about computer fear. gets you. Um, I even think I played Crisis at one point, perhaps. I can't, I can't remember if the timing is right for that, but I seem to recall. Yeah, with the Counter Strike though, a lot of people did play Counter Strike there, mm-hmm. uh, but they were they were just too uh, good. They were Counter Strike addicts. Yeah, basically, they could. They could draw you a map of dust, like from memory. Yeah, I I and show you exa- exactly where you want to be and not want to be. Yeah, there, there would be no chance. It, it like you'd literally have a worse time on the land there than you would online. To be fair, so for a while, um, actually around that time, I played uh, Rainbow Six Vegas. Or actually, I think this might have been after I played Rainbow Six Vegas Two with one of my friends. And this is where I discovered that games like Counter-Strike, especially where there's a small set of maps that everybody loves, you can really get very good at that. Because my friend and I, we would only play against bots. But these bots were, you know, the toughest bots you could face. And all of a sudden, I really did feel like a Counter-Strike ninja, you know, having practiced hours at Rush Arcade after, you know, only a few weekends of trying that shenanigans. So um, a lot of people who were at the arcade... I felt like, you know, there's 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 definitely a lot of people who are veterans at their one game, and they tend to play that a lot, so it was always a little bit of caveat emptor when somebody invites you to play, you're like, alright, am I about to get my ass rammed through, you know, through my esophagus here, or does this person just want to, like, casually have some fun and, and you know, yeah. <laughs> be and social? Like, and, like, we, individually, we didn't have, like, the super great computers at the time and so like generally i don't know yeah i mean that's part of the reason we went to rush arcade is again five dollars a day and you get essentially games that can play you can essentially play the latest games uh on high settings at high frame rates yeah uh, which we could not do i don't even think at the time that i could run any of the battlefield games at all on my home computer yeah like at some at some point like my brother got a really good pc but that didn't mean we could play a bunch of high-end PC games together. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's a, that's, a, that's a group effort right there. Uh, yeah. One other thing I distinctly remember, this isn't Rush Arcade, but um, actually the first, the first internet cafe that I really remember uh, gaming much at, really funny, because essentially this was when uh, I don't think that we had a home computer. 
And this would have been before I met you guys. I was younger. Mm. But there was a local internet cafe. And it was funny because my mom would go there and bring us, you know, me and my sisters. Because that's just what you do when you are a parent. (laughs) And uh, she would use the internet cafe downstairs just for doing things like, you know, paperwork stuff or um, whatever. Just like kind of, uh, you know banking or what maybe Every not banking stuff. but j- just like you know browsing stuff to sort some paperwork and things like that but they had an upstairs which was filled with gaming computers which at the time meant like doom and quake yeah <laughs> gotta level up and to i, the second I floor. remember it was so so funny because like they just had this cramped upstairs full of a bunch of people playing quake pretty much every day mm. uh back in the days when that was the shit it's pretty it's pretty pretty interesting times but yeah the first uh the first internet cafe i probably went to was you know probably like the george mackey library mm. <laughs> the first internet cafe so, that i remember uh, was uh was in my elementary school we had uh yeah, the, the computer room, room yeah. with all those well, that's not an educational cafe. games a joke <laughs> yeah but I mean, oh, but that you know, my elementary school—the one game that I remember the most, uh, mostly because I didn't get to play it because they, my my school had these dumbass rules that like certain games were only for the like higher grades, <laughs> including one of those ones that was a marble game, where it's like essentially a digital version of building those little marble tracks. Okay. And for some reason, they wouldn't let anyone below like grade six play it. What? It was dumb as shit. Yeah, I don't know why they did that, but I was very upset Crazy. as a child because I'm like, I want to play that. And they're like, No, you're too young. Peak childhood. Uh, uh, um, that's just that's just peak educational system crushing yeah. your childhood dreams. Now, in the infotech room in elementary school, I do remember playing a lot of Dino Park Tycoon. Yep. Yep. That was. Oh yeah. That was a good one too. Dino Park Tycoon was a staple. All the right type. Oh, yeah. Math circus. Yep. Uh, I remember this one weird game where you were like kind of a spy moving through different rooms and you had the purple trench coat. That's very... Yep. I remember that specifically. I can't remember the Uh, name of the damn game. Gizmos and Gears or something? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Do they they still do that in elementary schools these days? Do they have like weird educational pseudo games no that's where they break out the raspberry pi and the 3d printer and they're like come my children make us the next the next iphone cha-ching 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 oh oh i think it was called gizmos and gadgets there we go close close good pull (laughs) yeah so yeah i mean dude the box art for this game like look at this insane just, just look that, up. That, yeah, that's good shit. That, like that, that, that assets everywhere. That's, that stuff's not in the game. That like we none of it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, none of these art assets are in the game. That's that's internet cafes. We definitely, <laughs> they kind of feel like they're from a bygone era these days. Like, I know we, Sean, we went we went to a uh, e spot and then we did sit down at the computers there 
and it was just like, it was me, Sean, and one other person. And it was impossible for us to agree on what to play, because we all played v- different stuff. Yeah. Like back then, like it was pretty easy to find people to just play any random shooter that you wanted to play. But now people, I feel like people have gotten so just like hyper focused on specific games. So that's just like, if you ask an Overwatch player if they want to play Valorant, are they gonna say yes? I wouldn't. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> fair. So it's people get siloed into their into their niches, and then once they have their niches, they get siloed into the game that they prefer, and not any of the other games in that genre. Atomization of your gaming preferences. We can move on to uh, talk about, you know, like the kind of Carnival Gaze Midway style arcades, because I think we don't have, we have, I I know I have more to talk about, about traditional arcades, so save that for the end. Uh, Yeah, sure. I mean, so there's lots of classic arcade games that I I recall having a lot of fun with, you know, Ski Ball. Ski Ball is the classic. Ski Ball is the the classic. Yep. You can't talk about Midway games without talking about Skee-Ball. 100%. There's not a lot to say about Skee-Ball, though, really, is there? When I worked at... to talk about it, that's When I worked at EA, they had a Skee-Ball machine there. That's pretty good. Uh, but... It's a reminder of the the peak, like, game quality that EA is unable to attain. (laughs) Here's something that you probably, like, don't really realize about Skee-Ball, though. Skee-Ball is so fucking loud. Like, you, you don't notice it, because when you're in a place that has ski balls, it's probably like a bunch of, you know, background noise for you, but the ski, they had one single ski ball thing, like, in the lobby, with a, where there was a little cafe, and like some ping, ping pong tables and a pool table, but it was really large and really open, so we were just playing, decided, okay, let's, let's play a little bit of ski ball, and that, it's really loud. <laughs> Oh, you yeah. were just chucking this, like, this ball against well, this, you know, like... It's kind of like mini bowling, so... This, yeah, just like this wooden plastic, just clanging off of stuff. So yep. we played, like, run around, and I got, like, self-conscious. I'm like, you know, maybe we, uh, maybe we don't make a huge racket for all the people that are just sitting around here trying to chill. <laughs> yeah, I guess, although with bowling, the... Ball isn't supposed to be jumping and landing on hard yeah, surfaces. It's not, yeah, you're not supposed to... I mean, I, I can ramp a bowling ball out of the gutter, but you're not supposed to. Yeah, you're not supposed to do that. Back when, back when I was in a bowling league, that was something that we... Technically, if you did that, you were supposed to mark down that, no, you didn't hit the pin. And we had... There were these, like, coaches that were... Would, like stand around the lanes but the one that always stood uh with like my team just like yeah don't worry about it <laughs> keep the fans man <laughs> and so i got good enough that i when there was one pin left on the uh far side i was actually better at getting that pin by bouncing it out of the gutter than i was actually trying to hit it normally <laughs> Wow. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. You would do it intentionally just to screw with us. Like <laughs> just stunting on us like in bowling games. Like we'd be losing to your gutter balls. <laughs> Whoop. It's all in the I mean, wrist, man. It's you all got the wrist. strikes with those damn things sometimes. 
I only did that once. And it was that memorable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you do it one time. <laughs> I, I, I've also spun the ball f uh, hard enough where it's gone in between the middle and the pin next to it without hitting any of them. So. <laughs> Double-edged sword. I'm talking about five-pin bowling, by the way, for the listeners okay. who, if you're not from Canada, you're missing out. Five-pin bowling's the best. Oh, yeah. Wait, is five-pin bowling a Canadian thing? It is. I believe it is a Canadian thing, yes. Really? Yep. That seems so strange. You know, okay, I gotta, basketball I gotta, I gotta ask you guys. Canada. Sure, but basketball is still also in Canada and the U.S. Our national sport is lacrosse. Does... What? Yep. Yep. Really? Yeah. Not not hockey. Lacrosse. Not hockey, not basketball. Lacrosse. lacrosse. I mean, to be fair, does anyone else even play lacrosse? I would it's, have to know something it's about... It's like... Does there there have been lacrosse video games? Okay, does that make lacrosse like winter like summer curling? <laughs> oh wow! Now there's a now there's a theory. Lacrosse is air croquet. <laughs> but where's the hoops? You're holding them. Yep. Uh, but uh, something else that's you know. Classic with the midway style of arcade games. Uh, it, okay, I'm getting a bit hung up by myself trying to talk about this because there's, you know, the midway games that are like, you know, those carnival-esque games. But there's also, you know, the publisher and developer Midway who made a ton of arcade games. Oh, yeah. And obviously named themselves that because of that, so... Yeah, I was actually gonna... I was actually trying to figure out why are they called midway games exactly... Like, that's just an old saying for the section of the carnival where all the games are, oh, I believe. Oh, it's midway because it's in the walkway. In the middle of the walkway. Yes, that's probably just what it is. Yeah. But, so, those carnival-style games, I'll just switch to using that for now on. Uh, ticket redemption has always been, like, the reason why you play... Well, the quote-unquote reason why you play those games has been a ton of... Various ticket redemption stuff. Yeah, uh, like play, you know, pay money to play with quarters or loonies or whatever, and then it, the better you do, the more tickets you get, and then you can exchange the tickets for prizes. Yeah. Because gambling for children is okay if you make it fun and pretty. Listen, I gotta get enough tickets so that I can get that army man with the parachute that never folds it back up properly, alright? <laughs> I've gotten that prize many a time. Yeah, or like, you know, the, the scooter that you're never going to win. Oh my god. There was so, always a scooter. Sometimes motorized, sometimes not. So, my one of my definitive arcade spots is a place called Castle Fun Park. Ooh. And me and my cousin would go there all the time. And they had, as their, like, max, like, prize for the ticket redemption, like... A small CRT TV. <laughs> <laughs> and we got a buttload of tickets there, though. We, because there, there were some games that were just, like, really good for it. Um, we played a game that normally is rigged, but here it didn't seem to be, called Cyclone, where you have to stop uh, yeah, a light that's, like, swirling around all these different LEDs. Yeah, Cyclone's the machine where, well, they weren't LED back then, but... But yeah, there's white, there's a ring of white lights, and they essentially go 
uh, like there's a single light lit at a time and it goes in a circle and then you have and then there's three zones and you have to push the button when it's in the zone and you get tickets if you do so yeah so we except they're rigged as fuck this one wasn't and so we were really good at it so we could get a bunch of tickets every single time but despite like multiple multiple visits there spending a fair amount of tokens on these ticket redemption things we weren't even fucking close to that crt yeah we um, had multiple garbage bags full of tickets and we still like no yep yeah so some uh, uh some fun facts about the cyclone game though uh the manufacturer claims that it is the uh, highest profit redemption uh, ticket redemption game ever made this oh is again God. because it's rigged I believe it. I There's believe actually it. A, a YouTuber, uh, Mark Rober, who did a uh, he he's an engineering uh, engineering channel, and he built a high speed button pusher uh, to push it exactly when it is on the um, spot, uh, and it's it, it's rigged. Like he has some, yeah. If you want to watch his videos, he goes in depth about this machine he built to time it precisely and explains like very much that it is rigged. Although, yeah, sometimes they're not. I had sometimes. I had an instance where I ran into one that wasn't rigged because we could, uh, like, I was there and and I could reliably hit it maybe like upwards of like sixty or seventy percent of the time and get the max payout. And my mom noticed and. She was like, oh man, like this is, this is obviously I'm having a lot of fun with it. We're getting so many tickets. Uh, we went through all of the change that she had oh and gosh. all of the money that she had. So we had to go and get some more because she was like, oh, we got to get on this. Otherwise it's, you know, we're not going to like, it might not last forever. As soon as we left, someone came and turned it off. I bet. Yeah. Because, you know, it was... Uh, broken because the uh, the the rigging clearly got turned off somehow. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't even 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 with the game being actually skill based for a time, we still didn't get enough tickets to get anything terribly interesting. <laughs> yeah. Now the one game that I always loved at those places uh, for a ticket rede- redemption game. I don't know what it's called, but it's the, it's the, it's, uh, it's the, I'm going to call it the dinosaur money shot. Yes. I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Because A, dinosaur money shot sounds hilarious. Uh, but also that's literally what you do. You put quarters into this little trigger thing that you can, uh, pivot all around, uh, like a circular ball joint. And then you, you shoot quarters and it can land in like you know a t-rex or a volcano or like a triceratops or i think there's even a pterodactyl way up high and if you hit different parts uh, of the machine you get different payouts and it's just one of the coolest looking ticket redemption games to you know a small child ever made yeah because every young kid loves dinosaurs every every young 90s kid loves dinosaurs and volcanoes and flashing red lights yep (laughs) and fake lava it's amazing uh one of my favorite games to get tickets i remember this one arcade where they had a submarine torpedo game 
And so they had oh, essentially yeah. what looked like, I think, a, I think this was the one with the handle. Uh-huh. And you'd aim the handle and then you'd squeeze the triggers on the handle and it would shoot the torpedoes on the screen. And you could just get reams of tickets that way. Like, you could get quite a few of the prizes on there if you just stuck to this one game because it would reward you so good. <laughs> so, so good. Uh, not a ticket redemption game, but an entire class of games that, you know, you'd find in arcade that kind of you know, transition between these uh, carnival-style games and traditional video games, uh, Pinball. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, Castle Funbark had a big uh, section with, like, 20 or so pinball machines that I usually skipped over. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but I think the only pinball machine that I've spent a decent amount of time with was, like, a Tales of the Crypt pinball machine that was at this one Italian uh, cafe slash bar that my dad used to go to all the time to watch soccer. <laughs> so I would play that a little bit. And it, I, I believe it had, like, voice samples, like, digitized voice samples of the Crypt Keeper going like, <laughs> and stuff. It was pretty pretty sweet. Oh, the nostalgia. Mm. But yeah, like, the reason why... I would go to arcades. It's for the video games. I gotta, I gotta get my video games wherever I go, so. Uh, there's a lot of different video games that I played a ton uh, in not only Castle Fun Park, but my family would always um, go to this campsite called Bigfoot around Harrison Hot Springs. And Bigfoot. They had uh, they had a little arcade there, and so they were constantly like moving, rotating through like five or six arcade games, and me and my family would always play cards and bet quarters. <laughs> oh wow! Yeah. yeah, nice. And so, uh, so I would always just like me and my brother would usually win. Uh, playing cards and get a bunch of quarters that we'd run over and spend in the arcade. Alright, so you'd win at adult gambling so you could play children's gambling. Damn right. Because we wanted to play fucking buzzle, uh, bubble bubble and stuff, alright? Bust a move. That's, that's what I call motivation. Oh yeah. Heck yes. And so, there were quite a few different games I played while there. Uh, San Francisco Rush. Oh, I love San Francisco Rush. That's such such a good. Like, that's easily my, easily my most fondly remembered arcade racing game. Mm-hmm. Like that, that, that. It's that got was cool cars. Fun. It's got pretty good tracks. Some nice, uh, nice shortcuts. Yeah, and, and like the more advanced tracks were like really wide open. You could go. Like there were some like discovering those shortcuts was pretty fun. Oh yeah, yeah. I also just love the announcer for San Francisco oh, yeah. Rush. Like, he'd, he'd call out the difficulty of using the car, and it would just be, like, you know, dangerous. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was so good. I think the other f- ones. The first time I played San Francisco Rush, I actually think it was on the N64. It did get an N64 yeah. release, yeah. But the arcade version... Was, was it Rush or Rush 2049? 2049 was on the N64 for sure. Yeah. That's the one I remember. But that was also in arcades, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, the, the arcade version was uh, a bit better. Hold on, hold on. So, 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 you've got Rush 2049, 
And then seven years before that is Battlefield 2142. Or 2042. That's definitely seven years before, yes. And then you've got Blade Runner 2049. What's going on here, guys? Like, this seems like a strange timeline. You've got this arcade-like universe where everywhere is a racetrack, and then within seven years, all of a sudden, you've got cyberpunk going on, and at the same time... <laughs> I, I think you got that backwards. Yeah. But... Good listen, effort, good effort. Listen, in, in, in the cyberpunk future of 2049... Logistics supply chains are so challenged that, you know, high-speed sports cars are used to deliver packages instantly, you know, because Amazon is squeezing every last ounce out of the uh, consumer's expectations. The drones at Amazon just aren't fast enough, so they have to hire human drivers to drive in speeds and manners Hitherto untold. In order actually, to do, I actually they have to hire human drones called replicants. I actually, <laughs> I actually kind of like this concept. It's like a reverse crazy taxi. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's pretty funny. Um, if we want to make a racing game, I think we just figured out our our, our hook. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, looping it back to uh, Dragon Ball Fighter Z. Uh, fighting games is definitely something that I played a ton of in, in arcades. And at this camp, at this campsite, there were like some other, you know, just random ass kids there who had nothing else better to do than to go to the arcade too. So it was fun just like mashing out some stuff with just random people. But a lot of killer instinct there. But my favorite fighting game memory from there was when they got, they got Street Fighter 2 cabinet in. And the owner of the campsite un- didn't realize that he got one of the ones that had the uh, lever little switch uh, on the front instead of a coin op. Oh no. So he would just flick that. And so we were looking at this thing and I'd never seen one of those before. I'm like, well, how do, where do I, how do I make it go? So I went and asked and he was like, all right, if you give me a, a dollar, I'll tell you. <laughs> oh no I must have gotten over a hundred plays of Street Fighter 2 for that one dollar <laughs> I was there the entire weekend just fucking jamming Street Fighter 2 that is amazing like I was like just going through and trying to beat it with like every character and stuff <laughs> and the game cheats like a motherfucker because every fighting game does <laughs> oh yeah so that was the great Street Fighter machine mistake that sounds like a fun time. You know what? Okay, one of the most interesting arcade experiences I've ever had was I used to uh, need a lot of dental work. I went to the orthodontists, mm-hmm. and they had this amazing machine where, like, all you could access was the controls. The TV and the console was, like, locked behind these clear boxes, but you could play a bunch of Sega games on there, and you could, like, switch between them just using the, the buttons that were accessible to you. And that was pretty fun. So, of course, we would arrive obscenely early for my uh, for my dental appointments, and I would just go ahead and play a bunch of these games back to back while I was waiting. Kind of like a robot chicken style onslaught of I'm gonna play this game for a few seconds and wham, I'm gonna play this next one. And it was two player, so sometimes I'd have some hilarious person want to come up and they're curious and they're looking, and then we play some two player stuff, and it was a good time. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. I think another another one of my favorite arcade games, although it's not just one, uh, but would be the Metal Slug games. <laughs> uh, those are those were brutal though like they they ate quarters like nobody's business because the the arcade metal slug games are so hard oh my gosh dying in one hit yeah that'll do it yeah but it's i i really like the style like the sprite animation in those old metal slug games was really good oh yeah snk like did some of the best sprite work that you'd ever see. Yeah, and you know, they were they're so smooth. Like the animations are like pretty high frame they're pretty high frame count animations for the time and even today they still look quite good. I would say some of some of them. I mean, like when we saw the trailer for Metal Slug Tactics, like and like the in-game footage of that it just looked like those old games, yeah. except even in like an even smaller scale. It still looked amazing. Like yeah. that just turns out really. If you put a lot of work, time, and work into something, it holds up for a while. Yeah, especially the you know something like sprite work when it's done at at that. Yeah, it's just like you're saying when it's at that level, and also like it had a pretty unique, I would say, art direction for sprite based games um Mm -hmm. it almost looked like the closest analogy i can think is that because the sprites really looked like they had good shading and depth to the point where they almost looked 3d and now now if you compare another game say donkey kong country and the donkey kong country games for the snes like those were compare those digital well those were digitally made as 3d models and then they took the shading but they were pre-rendered yeah they were pre-rendered but the metal slug games look better yeah but they look three they look more 3d than the donkey kong sprites which were actually pre-rendered 3d and and the other thing that made the metal slug games look so good was the animations they're very exaggerated animations for a lot of the characters and enemies yeah and like you know like the enemy soldiers that were just like a nose, a gigantic jaw, and a helmet. You can see their eyes. It's like yelling and just throwing grenades at you. Yeah. Like yep. Everything looked, just looked so good. Yeah, I mean, everything about the Metal Slug games is exaggerated. You know? Especially the Metal Slug itself, which looks like it's going to fall apart at any moment while you're driving it. It's like <laughs> rumbling all over the place. Yeah. Everything um, is caricature. You know, the announcer is completely over the top. Oh, yeah. I think that's, you know, the rocket launcher is uh that's literally what it sounds like it's it's a meme at this point yeah it's a meme you've probably heard it by now but uh that's that's part of the character of the games you know but it it was 100 percent a quarter muncher though oh yeah it a core is like nobody's business uh some another popular genre of quarter munchers is beat-em-ups a genre that like i think has been it's been really difficult to transition out of the arcade setting yeah um for for these things uh games like you know final fight uh golden axe double dragon uh tmnt yeah like all those games just like best in the arcade for sure yeah i think the last proper beat-em-up i played was double dragon neon on the ps3 and even that that was a while ago that was a while ago right um they tried to coast on a sort of retro wave aesthetic 
at the time, which was still a while ago, just to make it uh, feel like, I guess, yeah, they were just coasting on nostalgia, basically. The game was okay, but I just don't think the genre is that good. Beat em ups it's were really not. Beat em ups were made. Beat em ups were made to exploit, you know, quarters in an age of technical limitations, and it turned out that it wasn't actually a fun genre. I think the closest thing to beat em ups today is really, it's just action games, in general. But you know, actually, I've been playing some Hades lately, and in some sense. Hades is kind of similar to a beat-em-up. You know, you've got a character that you have to, you know, keep from taking too much damage, and you have to keep keep moving, uh, and you're, you're just, uh, you know, very much close combat focused. It's not quite the same. A lot of action games in that style have some things that are more bullet hell-like, and... You know, especially something like Enter the Gungeon, which is kind of similar. Uh, but it's... And those are both roguelikes, which is, again, a bit different than beat-em-ups. But in general, I think that's the clo- that's the closest type of game I can think that matches, like, the sort of spirit of the gameplay. Except, honestly, they're a lot more fun than beat-em-ups ever were. <laughs> well, that's because you generally have a lot more control over the action. Beat-em-ups, like, yeah. specifically makes that you have very like your movement speeds pretty slow like you can't really dodge things bosses tend to be be like able to run across the screen and do attacks like way faster than you could than you can do attacks or sometimes even react to them just you know again the the people that were designing those games were very very smart yeah it's (laughs) an unfair it's an unfair genre and players just don't like it that's why it's died Munching quarters harder than Pac-Man pops pills. Uh, Pac-Man. Now I'm just thinking of Mario Kart GP. <laughs> oh, yeah. The one time you could play uh, Pac-Man in a racing game. Maybe not the one time. That was, that was such a strange move. I mean, it makes sense, I guess, to put Mario Kart in an arcade, but it's just not... It's a little bit of uh, out of sorts. Yeah. It felt a bit weird. It didn't control like a Mario Kart game. It really didn't, no. But, you know, there's... it. You were sitting in a, like a go-kart facsimile. Yep. That's an experience you can only get at the arcade. There's there's a lot of games that are experiences that you can only get at the arcade. Yeah, Ooh. actually a lot of... There was also some games that had like motion seats and stuff like that that would lean. Some of the Star Wars games. That's actually what I'm thinking. I think there was yeah. a lot... That one there was a pod the racing game, kind of game that had yeah. a cockpit that moved side to side. That that's kind of cool. And there and then there's like you know light gun games, but yeah. like you, uh, the, time crisis. Yeah. Yep. Uh, Actually, ta- House, time House of the Dead, though. Area Fifty One, like a lot, a lot of fun little light gun light gun games that you know. If if you've ever tried to play the home versions of those with a controller. They don't work. <laughs> yeah. It's something like that's yep. really all about the light gun. Yeah. And like, that's never been a home console thing except for the Nest Sapper. Yeah. I'm kind of reminded, I, I think there was a game I was playing, uh, uh, it's that, it's that N64 rail shooter. 
that you're gonna have to be Japanese only release. Was it it Super Scope? No. Oh. No, it used a controller, but it probably should have been a light gun game. Hmm. Can't remember. Moving on. (laughs) Um. One game that I loved, that it was a pretty arcade like centric experience was um there was a simpsons bowling game why what What? they made a lot of simpsons games okay there's simpsons wrestling there's simpsons skateboarding there's tons of simpsons games but this was a arcade bowling game where you used a trackball to bowl and that was like the first time i'd seen a trackball uh, that's wow. bizarre for, for arcade games which you know that's i think i think a little little bit of an older style of controls for arcade games but it was sick as hell yeah that's I, I think i played as groundskeeper really cool. willie all the time i mean how could you not that's, that's right? Good shit right he's there. scottish yeah. They, yeah. they know bowling yeah right i think they know golf it's know. more golf but <laughs> the golf golf is Golf is Scottish. Golf has a ball. Bowling has a ball. Bowling is Scottish. Bowling is Scottish. If there P, we go. If P, then Q. If Q, then P. Of course. This isn't a logical error. <laughs> Golf is just bowling with implements. It's tiny bowling. The pins are a different size. and There's only one pin. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's the pin that you put in the ground and then you put your ball on that you hit it. Yep. Pin at the start, so the pins at the end. Uh, one entire genre that. Okay. It, by the way, I found I found the name of that dinosaur game. It's called Dino Score. Dino Score. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay with Dinosaur Money Shot though. Yeah, that's, it's very yeah. evocative. Oh yeah. Dino DNA, you know. I, I mean, you're shooting quarters right into the dinosaur's mouth. Yeah, it's it's 100 a money shot. Oh yeah. <laughs> it literally does not get more money shot than that. One, one other entire genre that I think, like, lives in the arcade. It's been brought home, but like the arcade is where it's at. Is um, rhythm games. Oh yeah. Uh, that's that's actually what I remember. There was a lot of at rush arcade that that we didn't end up playing. Was there was a ton of rhythm games there. Same with uh, when we went to eSpot, and just like these crazy rhythm games with all these different kinds of control schemes to uh, play them. Uh, I played one called Jubeat, which is this panel in front of you uh, that it's four by, it's got four by four, uh, like push down buttons on it, but the buttons themselves are fairly large and they're, they have screens behind them. So you need to push the buttons when they light up, and there's different patterns that can light up so that you, like, you know, kind of, like, move your hand across uh, the buttons and uh, hit them. And, yeah, like, the Jap- Japanese rhythm games, they're so inventive and fun to play. It's a shame that I don't know any of the music on any of them. As well, ex- like, the one, like, there was one anime theme that I knew of when I was playing Jubeat. And, like, whenever I've tried playing DDR, like... I don't know any of the songs. Like, unless they have, like... There's a couple of DDR songs that have, like, weird Eurobeat songs that I know for some reason. 
DDR is is analogous to witchcraft that. for me, and same with Guitar Hero, and that genre. I played guitar. I played the arcade version of Guitar Hero once. I didn't even know they had an arcade version of Guitar Hero. Yeah, it's pretty funny. The uh, the guitar was not in very good condition. I bet. <laughs> um, speaking of Japanese arcade games, one concept that I've only seen in Japanese arcade games that blew my mind the first time I saw it was con- was progression. There was an yeah. in- there was an initial D game that you could purchase a little card for that stored your progress because you were like buying parts and customizing and tuning your car in different ways. And That's so, pretty cool. And so yeah, you would have like this constant progression. And I've heard of uh, arcades in Japan, like I think for Virtua Fighter or maybe for Street Fighter as well, having that kind of card system where you would buy a card and then you put okay this this character with this outfit and like this super move that they use on on the card and so you if you went to an arcade you could just put that in and it'd get all your settings for you and like keep tracks of your wins and losses and stuff like that it's a really neat concept yeah but unfortunately dope. arcades kind of died over here so. yeah r.i.p arcades are definitely bigger over there r.i.p arcade Forget Rush Arcade, let's go to Rip Arcade. <laughs> the spookiest arcade. The spooky graveyard of dead machines. Nothing sadder than a dead machine. Yep. The last arcade game that I want to bring up is my favorite arcade game. And I need to do a video on this game because it is so dope, but I've never seen anybody else who's even heard of this game. Uh, it's called Senku, and the English version of it was released as Battle Balls. And this is a puzzle game in the style of something like a Tetris or a Luminous or something like that, where you're dropping these balls into the well, uh, and they f- you're, it's a match four game, you're trying to get combos, like, you know, a Poyo Poyo or something, but the balls have physics to them. Uh oh. So like, if you drop uh uh, they come in like triangles of three. If you drop that where the flat bot flattish bottom hits, you know, a peak in, or a slope, the balls will like tumble down. And it's a really it, simple game, but it, it's super fun to play. And everything a, surrounding the game is crazy AF. Yeah, it it kind of sounds like those old like bad Tetris. Uh, bad Tetris uh, versions where like the blocks undergo actual physics and it's awful except it's that but actually playable <laughs> yeah and it's really it's deceptively simple to accidentally set up massive combos in this game too Be- just because of how like the physics work and the, and the balls like settle down it's it's super fun but nobody's heard of this game <laughs> Fair enough. I haven't heard of that game until now. Yeah, I think you, you showed me the other day, and I, I hadn't heard of it before either. All right, well, that's been a wild ride across uh, many different kinds of arcade games and even different kinds of arcades. But I hope you guys enjoyed our our uh, overview of some 
some of the landscape of a sadly kind of defunct uh, way of gaming. But uh, yeah, let us know what arcade games you guys liked, and you know maybe we can, you know, just talk talk about them. Yeah, I, talk about them. I have Mame downloaded. We can make things happen. Yep. As always, we have our YouTube channel, Angry Sun Zone. Our Twitter, Angry Sun Zone. Our Twitch that we don't use, Angry Sun Zone. We might Twitch things in the future. Yeah, we're found we'll wherever get, we'll, podcasts can be found. At Angry Sun Zone, Zone. We'll, we'll get around to it. And of course, our email address. If you want to send us an email and get it read on the air, if you got any questions for us or just want to share some of your own arcade experiences, check us out at AngrySunZone at Outlook Here's hoping that you never run out of quarters. All right, so 11 out of 43 characters on the cast of Dragon Ball Fighter Z are Goku. All right, so three players, 11, choose, 11 choose three. There are 165 combinations of all Goku teams. <laughs>